6 verse 23, I shared out of this little uh, verse of scripture last week and I want to pick up on it and just bring a simple point out of what all that we said last week and just expound upon it. The, uh, the message was called the two faces of Jesus, how that God facilitated the deliverance of the, the Hebrew slaves out of Egypt through the wilderness and into the promised land through a savior, actually through two saviors, Moses and Joshua. Moses brought them out of Egypt and pastored them through the wilderness, but then he gave way to Joshua, and Joshua took his place and led them into the promised land. And the point that we made there was how that Jesus really is represented both by Moses, who took them by the hand and led them around out of Egypt, led them around the wilderness, and kind of pastored their complaints and, and uh, fed them and clothed them. But when it came time, when they were ready, when they'd gotten the slave mentality out and, and uh, when they had um, uh, a new generation arose with courage and they were willing to go in and take the promised land, even though it would be a fight, um, then they transitioned to a different type of savior, a different type of leadership that type was typified by Joshua, who led them. And so they went, as they transitioned from the wilderness into the promised land, they went from being taken care of by God to God working through them in the promised land. In the wilderness, God did everything for them. In the promised land, God did everything through them. It's a big difference, significant. So we see those two two characteristics of leadership in Moses and in Joshua. And so we've shared all that. And I want to pick up on this one point uh, going forward this morning. But let's take a look at Deuteronomy 6.23. Moses is, <clears throat> he is quantifying the journey that we call the exodus of God taking the Hebrews out from under slavery, bringing them through the wilderness, and then eventually into the promised land where they were to live as the Lord's people and uh, through them God's testimony to the nations. And he quantifies the whole process and the purpose of it in this one little phrase. Deuteronomy 6.23, here we go. And God brought us out from there so that he might bring us in to give us the land that he swore to give to our fathers. So we see a two-step process that God uses. He brings you out in order to bring you in. And one of the first things you notice is that being brought out isn't instantly entering in. Being brought out of a bad situation is not the same thing as entering into a good situation. So once you have come out of a bad situation, you have yet to make a decision to enter into a good situation. And so the coming out was a gift, but the entering in is a choice. And there's a choice and decision that we all have to make continuously in our life to enter in to the blessing and to the purpose that Jesus set us free for. Now, God intended for the Exodus story, that's what we call it, the Exodus story, the, the the world's greatest liberation movement when God freed the millions of slaves out from under Pharaoh in Egypt. We call it the Exodus story. God intended the Exodus story 
to illustrate our own, in, in, in this age that we live in, our own transformation from living in the world as slaves to sin into living in the world as Christ's ambassadors. So the Exodus story is meant to illustrate the spiritual reality of our journey from living in the world as slaves to sin, as I said, to living in Christ as his ambassadors to the world. So in the Old Testament, God brings the people out of a physical land of slavery and into a physical land of abundance. But in the New Testament, God brings us out of a spiritual condition of slavery called sin and into freedom, which occurs when we enter life with Jesus Christ. So we've been brought out so that God could bring us into harmony and communion with it himself. So I want you to think about the promised land, the land of Canaan that they, that they eventually entered into out of the wilderness. Think of the promised land not as a place, but as a person. The promised land for us is Jesus Christ. It's God in Christ. And it's not a, a physical place like it was for them. Um, so you have abundant life, not because you live in clear water or you make a certain income on your job or God has blessed or promoted you to a certain position in life. Because even if you haven't been promoted to that position and you find yourself, as Giselle was talking about, under stress and in a place of great need, does that mean that you're not living in abundance? In the New Testament, we have entered in to the relationship of abundance in Jesus Christ. So we haven't come in to a promised land that's a land, but we have come in to a person, and that's Jesus Christ. He is our promised land, and our abundant life is through our fellowship with Jesus. And we all know that scripture. We've heard it. In Matthew chapter 6 from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, verse 33, when Jesus said, Seek first the kingdom of God. In other words, your relationship with, with the Father through Jesus Christ. Seek first the kingdom of God. All these other things will be added to you. What things? Whatever things you need. All the things that God knows that you need in life, He abundantly has and is willing to give them. Just put Jesus first in your life and seek Him. He's where you're living in Colossians 4, the scripture says, if you are then raised up with Jesus Christ, and if you got saved, if you've received Jesus in your life, you are living in heavenly places. You may be sitting in the sanctuary this morning. You may go to a job somewhere here in Pinellas County or, or on the other side of the bay in Tampa tomorrow. But the reality is, is that while you're going to that job or while you're sitting in this church, you are actually spiritually seated, which is a term of authority and position and citizenship. You are seated in heavenly places. It's not just that your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, but you and Jesus Christ have become one. And so as he sits at the throne of eternity, you are in him. And that's why you have a right and access to, through his word, the promises, because he loves you. Because he loves you, he's made you his child. Isn't that awesome? So that's why Jesus says, seek the things that are above. He's not saying, seek the things that are above because I want you to stop being bad. And I want you to stop being carnal, although he does want you. If you've been bad, just stop it. And if you have been carnal, let's, let's cut that out. It's not helping you any. But, but there's a higher reason for why he says seek the things that are above. Because that's where you really live. 
That's where your life is. Your body may have certain addictions. Your mind may have certain ruts that you have worked yourself into. I'm going to stand up here as your pastor and be honest with you. I have to fight certain patterns of thinking and ruts I've gotten myself into. But now they have a life of their own, and I have to fight them to keep them from controlling my life. You know what a rut is? It's a grave with the ends kicked out. And so some of us have certain mental or emotional ruts or even physical conditions in our life. Those things are physical, but I know that my life is hid with Christ and God, so I have the right and the liberty to, through my relationship with Jesus, as I put him first, to seek him to break every one of those bondages and to release me from those things. The world may say, you know, you'll never get free from that. But that's not what the Word says. The Word of God says that with his stripes I was healed. It's the past tense factor that points to something God's already done for me. So, the Bible says, though God through his gift has brought us out from slavery, we make a personal choice to enter in through our fellowship with Jesus Christ into the promises of God. So God's message to us today through the Exodus story is essentially this, if I could just put it together in a little package. When you lived in the world as the property of sin, Jesus came to bring you out from under sin's ownership. That's what being a sinner was. Sin owned you. And um, there's no use in us comparing ourselves or our past with one another. You were a lot worse than me. Um, I was not that bad. Uh, you, however, were pathetic. You know, whatever, we make these evaluations. But the reality is that the sin, if you will, that gripped and captivated and held all of us, regardless of what levels we might have been at relative to man's judgments, that sin that really did damn our lives was being without Christ, being without God. Our spirit was dark. And so some people did a better job relative to man's standards of living under that condition, but everybody without Christ lives in darkness. And so Jesus came to bring us out from under sin's ownership. But more than that, and here's the point of the message this morning, far more than that, he came not just to bring you out, but to bring you in. To bring you into sonship with the Father. Are you letting, in your relationship with the Lord, are you letting yourself be brought into that fellowship of a son of God? Not just a freed slave, because a freed slave is an unemployed sinner. Um, ba basically, they still, you, you just still have that broken mentality. But the Lord called Saul of Tarsus, who persecuted Christians and was terrible to God's people. God called him and saved him. Well, he didn't spend the rest of his life saying, well, I was really terrible. I could never repay all you people for what I've done to you. And, but he pressed in to lay hold of God's purpose for his life. And God has a purpose for each and every one of you. So he is calling you into sonship. Saul of Tarsus, who was so bent and twisted in his religious, religious perverted mind, became the great apostle Paul who wrote most of the New Testament. 
and was such a great gift through Jesus Christ to the world. And there is a Paul, if you will, living in each and every one of you that are, and I'm asking you, are you pursuing that? Getting up every day, Lord, let me lay hold of the Bobby Schubert that you've called me to be, the Glenn Hahn that you've called me to be. Let me be the Jerry Hums child that you've called me to be, the Millie Ward that you have called me to be. Let me be that person that you have called me to be. And if you're not sure of what that is, start with the general description that defines all of us. You are a beloved daughter or a son of the Lord. Wow, I'm the, I am God's, as much as Jesus is God's son, Victoria could say, I'm God's daughter. Wow, I am a daughter of the living God. Doesn't matter what people think. Doesn't matter about the outward. God looks upon the heart. So you start with that identification. I live in this world as God's son, as God's daughter. Then beyond that, my specific calling or mission in life. You have a right to ask God, what is that, Lord? Make it known to me. Show me who and what I am. And, and God will raise up from within you a desire and he'll move your heart in the direction that he wants to move you in. He'll make it clear to you if you ask him. And that's called entering in. He brought you out so that you could choose to enter in. Lord, what do you have for me? Praise the Lord. So that's essentially the message of the Exodus. He brought us out so that he might bring us in. And let me say to you that when the delivered or former slaves were in the wilderness and it was time to cross over and to enter into the land, um, when that time came, in order to cross over in to the promised land, they made a decision that enabled them to cross over. And sometimes we find ourselves stalled out in life at a particular in some area of our life. It might be your relationship with your family. It might be some aspect of your relationship with the Lord. It might be a need in your life, a struggle that you're having. But you feel stalled out. You feel like you're in the wilderness. You're just not really laying hold of God's crossover word to get you moving forward. And when we find ourselves at that point of crossing over from the wilderness into the promised land, there's always a decision that opens the door that allows that, that, that crossing over to take place. And, and the decision that they made that allowed them to cross over was that they went from celebrating what they were freed from to choosing what they were freed for. And I thank God that I was freed from sin, but I have to say that that was about 47 years ago. So that was a long time ago. And I'm still grateful and thankful because I was an existentialist, orthodox atheist, and absolutely a hater of any kind of philosophy or concept of God, had a particular distaste for Christians. I was definitely on my way to a devil's hell and didn't know it, and was actually a pretty good, pretty decent person. You would have, if you knew me, my wife can testify, I was actually pretty, pretty good, right, honey? <laughs> she married me, and I know she don't run around with anything but nice people, so. So, but the point is, there was my dilemma. I was as lost as I could be, and I'd come from an atheist family, so I, 
you know, I had absolutely no encounter with Bible, religion, never prayed in my life, never been in a church, never opened a Bible, had no idea who Jesus was. The night that I got saved, that was the condition I was in. So it was really miraculous. It was a gift of God that the Lord awakened me out of sin and saved me. But from that point on, through my life, I've made decisions to pursue why Jesus set me free. There's a purpose. So I've always celebrated the fact that he freed me, but the decision is to go from celebrating what we were set free from to choosing what we are set free for. So coming out is a gift, but entering in is a choice. Philippians presents this beautifully in Paul's testimony of his own life. And I already gave you a little bit of description about Paul, but listen in his own words what he says about how he constantly in his life has made the choices to pursue the man that God's called him to be. Paul writes in Philippians 3.12, Not as though I have already attained perfection or spiritual full maturity, or have already become perfect, but I am pursuing it so that I might apprehend that reason, that purpose for which Christ apprehended me. So he goes on to say, brethren, I don't consider myself to have apprehended or fully uh, arrived at the, the level of perfection the Lord's called me to. I have not fully apprehended, but this one thing I do, Paul said, Forgetting the things that lie behind. Get Egypt out of the rearview mirror. Forget the wilderness. Forget the things that lie behind. The devil is going to shout at you the whole time, every step of the way. You know you're this. You know you need that. You know, the, you know what you did last week. He's going to bring up your past in order to wreck your future. And he will dominate you. As a matter of fact, oftentimes we fall into patterns through temptation of things that brought failure in, our, failure in our life simply because the devil is speaking to us out of our past. He keeps telling us, that's who you are, that's what you are, oh, forget it. You might as well just cave in, um, you know, and uh, take those drugs or, or um, uh, go buy yourself a bottle or just go out and, and lose yourself or, or just crawl into bed and forget it, just forget about it. Quit living. Somehow or another, he tries to drive you into that area where in a moment of weakness you've always found yourself before. And he does it by talking to you out of your past. But Paul said, I forget those things that are behind because I'm looking ahead. I know I have a bright future because I've got a bright Savior, the light of the world who lives inside of me. You know, positive thinkers like to say, look at the bright side. But I've lived long enough to realize there are a lot of conditions in life that don't come with a bright side. So my bright side's on the inside. His name is Jesus. When nothing else is bright in my life, when I'm not even bright, and I don't feel like shining, I know that he who loves me lives in me, and he is the light of the world, and he's my light. Hallelujah. So I can stir myself up to take hold of him. And he said, he said, I don't consider myself as having apprehended, but this one thing I do, I forget what is behind, and I press. So it does take effort, takes choice. I make the effort, I press, I reach forward to the things that are before me. 
When you're at those low points and you feel like giving up, just go find your little prayer place. Wherever that is, get in it, shut the phone off and just say, Father, I reach to what is before me. I can't see what is before me, but I know you are before me and I, because I know that you're with me. And so, Lord, just show me the next step in front of me. Lead me forward. And if you talk to God that way, put it in your own words, but, but basically express that he will bring you forward. He's the Lord who is helping you in your walk. And sometimes he has to pick you up and carry you, and he's not opposed to doing that. But he loves to be able to work in you and give you the strength so that you can take those steps. And, uh, you know, we, we all have a little baby side. We like Jesus carrying us. And it's wonderful to just let go and let him carry you along like a little puppy. But, but the Lord knows that the world is tough. And he wants to empower us to take those steps. And he says, go ahead, take the step. Just look to me and, and walk away. Walk away from your past. Take that step. Keep your eyes on me. And he'll get you there. It may be one step at a time, but the Lord will get you there. He's promised he will, and he will do it. He's done it for others, and he will do it for you. Paul said, I forget the things that are behind. I reach forward to what lies before, and I press. I press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. So when you make that choice to enter in, Having been brought out from sin, now what do I do? I enter in. When you make that choice to enter in, your faith shifts. And it shifts from God doing things for you to God doing things through you. And let me say to you, Philippians 2.13 says, For God is the one who is at work in you, both to will and to do his good pleasure. You know, when you first get saved, you're a baby Christian. And some babies, say 21 years, they still stay baby Christian. Um, so baby Christian, and, and I, know, I know people who have given their lives to the Lord, got filled with the Holy Spirit. And man, they're like at, they're like at you know, collegiate level. In two months, they've matured. So in the Spirit, people can mature very rapidly, very quickly. It's all a matter of how much you pursue what the Lord gives to you. And um, so that's why I'm putting this message out there, because uh, you don't have to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. That journey was only intended to take 40 days. So um, the fact is that what God does for you is because he wants to do it through you. God is at work in you to will and to do his good pleasure. The things that you want to see God do in your life, he wants to see them done through you. Think about that. When we are an immature, a baby Christian, we're laying in that bed, and what are we doing? I'm, what is this? I'm hungry. We're laying in the bed. Ooh, that doesn't feel right. Do something about that, and you got to change the diet. You know, you just, you, you want things done for you. But maturity, as you mature, all of a sudden, you start doing things for yourself. i tell you a really cute story kind of illustrates this. Believe it or not, as a kid, I told you that when my wife met me, I was a nice person. I babysat children. That's how I mowed lawns and babysat kids. So I would mow your lawn and babysit your kids. And I was about 14 years old, and I would babysit for 
uh, parents in the neighborhood when they were going out, and I'd babysit their kids. I remember the first time I babysit, I think it was three boys, and one of them was still in diapers, but he's a little big to be in diapers. He was about like four years old. Yeah, he's still at, and back in those days, we're talking cloth diapers and safety pins. This, there was none of that Pampers business. So I was really nervous. I had never changed a diaper. And uh, the parents said, yeah, you're probably going to have to change him for bed before he goes to bed. Now, this kid's walking and talking. But he'd not quite graduated out of the diaper phase. So I'm, I'm, I'm stressed out a little bit. I remember at 14 being stressed out. I'm going to have to change this kid's diaper. So it was bedtime. I was supposed to keep the kids to bed. And I went in there. And I was ready to pin. I was trying to imagine, well, how do you fold this? And I, I've got to have this kid take his diaper off. And I was all embarrassed about it. So I went and I said, okay, uh, let me help you. It comes, you know, it's time to get the diaper changed. He goes, oh, no, no. He says, I do it myself. Don't worry about it. <laughs> I was like, cool. That's great. Went back, didn't watch the TV. So he just got down. He took the old one off. He, got, he laid it out, got down on the ground, pulled it together, and pinned it. I was like, man, this is babysitting. I, I can do this. So, yeah, I hope he's out of the diapers before he starts mowing the lawn. But I, um, I, I just shared that story because I thought, you know, you, as you grow, you take care, you start taking care of yourself, you know. So God is eager to bring you and I to a place in our life where he is doing things through us, not just always for us. God wants to do everything for you, but sometimes he wants to do it through you. Because when you let the Lord work through you, and I'll, maybe, I'll, I'll explain this in an example or two in a moment, but when you let the Lord work through you, you're really being that, a great witness for Jesus Christ because that's what the world needs to see. The world needs to see real people like you and I, God moving through us. They don't need to see a TV evangelist who just looks and talks so totally over-animated and unreal, you just can't relate to them, or read the book of someone, you know, some great pastor, theological giant, because we put all those people kind of up on a pedestal and just think, well, God has given them a special calling. And uh, that's why God uses them. We ordinary people, we can't expect that kind of, you know, rapport with God. Um, and it's a terrible, terrible uh, twist that the devil has created, this religious imagery that keeps people from really rising up and taking hold of what God has for them. So what the Lord wants is for you and I to to be available for him to work through us powerfully because the people out in the world that aren't saved, they need to see you laying hands on the sick and you overcoming in life and, and walking in deliverance and God moving powerfully and wonderfully through your life. They need to hear those testimonies of, I prayed and the Lord met me. You mean you didn't have to call your pastor for that? Oh, no, we just got together. The Bible says if two or more, doesn't say two or more what's. So I guess I'm included. I'm a two or more something. So, you know, two or more gather together and agree the Lord is in the midst working. He, it's the agreement. It's not the specialness of the people who come together. It's the fact that when we come together, it's the agreement that brings the power of God. Yes. Hallelujah. A little something for the married folks this morning. 
Um, that's why the devil's always trying to get between you, husbands and wives, is so that that power, you never get it plugged in. You know, you're paying that electric bill, you might as well use it. Jesus paid his blood to give you that power, you might as well use it. Get it plugged in, switch it on, people. Stop letting the devil cut your power. I looked over to the amen corner, and I'm just glad for the cooperation. I'm mighty glad. Hallelujah. So really, the Lord defeated their enemies for them in Egypt and in the wilderness so that they would let him work through them when they got into the promised land. That's why God did all those miracles, so that those people would put two and two together and say, God did all those things. And the Lord says he wants to have a relationship with us. So those are now the things God's going to do through us as we obey him and go forward. So what I've said before, I say again. The Lord does through you the things that he wants to do for you. And let me just close with this thought and then we'll pray. When you pray, and I ask this for you just to mull over and, and uh, just to consider. When you pray and ask God for something, in your mind, what concept is working through that prayer? Are you kind of pitching a request up towards the Lord and hoping that your relationship with God is good enough that He's listening and He's going to grant it and He's going to do it? That's one concept. That's probably a very you know, plausible concept. You know, it's reasonable to think that way. However, if you are one that, that understands this message this morning, then you realize that when you are asking, and Giselle touched on it, you need to be receiving. That God is working through your prayer, not just taking the request and saying, I'll get back to you. Right? Put in a requisition. I'll get back to you. Let me look this over, see, you know, how we're doing this month. No, when we come before the Lord and we seek God and we ask, it is literally our integration with Him. It is when we worship Him, when we're asking, we are at that time facilitating the receiving. Jesus said in Mark chapter 4, what things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. Now, it may show up. Drone may drop it off from Amazon on your front porch. The next day, maybe a month from now, might be right then before you say amen. You shall, you shall have them. You shall, not might, you shall. If you believe you receive when you pray, you shall have them. And obviously, we're not talking about um, well, the Lord may want you to win Publishers Clearinghouse. I was going to say we're obviously not talking about it, but I don't want to undercut anybody's faith. Maybe, the Lord, maybe we have a Publishers Clearinghouse winner among us. Lord, may it be so. Because <laughs> this church is a tithing church. Um, so, but do you have the concept when you pray, God is working through me? You know, a lot of times we want to call somebody, and it's good to call people to pray with you. That's fine. It's okay. Two or more gathered together. God loves the, the body, but he loves you. You need to remember that. He loves you. He doesn't love you any less than he loved his own son. He loves you with the love that he loved 
his son Jesus with. For God so loved you that he sent his son. So he is predisposed to, to want to meet you. And so when you pray and when you're seeking God, have that concept, I am entering in. This is what God wants to do. He wants to work through me. Like I said, a lot of times we want to call somebody that we think, well, they pray, I know they can get an answer. And I don't want to discourage that. That's okay. That's fine. And sometimes you want to get somebody to pray with you because you believe in that synergistic quality of two or more praying together. But please, please, please don't discount. You are his covenant child. He brought you out in order to bring you in. God wants to work through you, not just for you. And what he plans to do for you, what if he wants to do it through you? What if the answer is supposed to come through you? Don't always push it outside beyond yourself. Somewhere out there, God's going to send somebody with the answer. The answer lives within you. And if you're in a state of frustration or deep unhappiness in your life right now and you're looking for something to come to bring a change, the first place I want you to expect that change to come from is within you. Within you, let the Lord bless you because he loves you. How do you know that you're not the answer for that situation that you're in? Sometimes wives will say, if I wish my husband would get his act together, okay, he's supposed to be the spiritual head of this family, and if he would just get his act together, God could bless us. Well, that, that may all be true, but God can bring that answer through you. Don't limit yourself. God wants to work in your life. He wants to work through you. And you've got a friend that calls you up and says, I've got cancer. Oh my God, I've got to get the prayer line praying. Excellent, do that. But stop for a moment and ask yourself and say, what if the Lord wants me to call my friend up or go over and anoint her with oil and pray over her and lay hands on her? Are you willing to seek the Lord and say, Lord, I'm willing to be a vessel? More miracles don't happen because there's so few people that are willing to just put themselves out there and say, Lord, use me. Send me. Here am I. Send me, Lord. Oh, I can't go. I've got arthritis. Well, Jesus can move through arthritis. Arthritis doesn't hinder Jesus. Oh, I'm a leper. I can't, I can't pray for anybody for healing. I'm, I've got leprosy. But uh, God can move. To God. Healing doesn't come from your leprosy. And arthritis doesn't stop the power of God. Hallelujah. All right, I've said enough. I want you to close your Bible or turn off your iPhone or whatever. Shut off Facebook. That is the problem with having devices in church today. You figure they're all on the Bible app following you. And get all those get all those texts taken care of. Stand with me this morning.